I'll tell you when you're in a Starbucks that's inside your hospital and you're waiting in line behind a patient who's connected to an IV, right? Like it just keeps you very much grounded to the mission and it helps you realize why it's so important to get these technologies through the valley of death. Sangeeta Baden Cook is the executive director of business innovation at City of Hope. She joins us on Talking Tech Transfer to discuss the unique aspects of commercialization at a hospital with a focus on cancer, diabetes and other life-threatening diseases and what it means to be surrounded by patients who often have nowhere else left to turn. She discusses the importance of City of Hope having its own GMP manufacturing facility, how the impatience of researchers to help patients is driving an entrepreneurial culture and why even faraway Australia isn't out of the question for IPOs. Cook also reveals how one treatment in particular was so impactful it made her cry, and why Deathstalker Scorpion Venom may sound like a wild concept to base a cancer therapy on, but is already becoming a reality thanks to Chimeric Therapeutics. Sangeeta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, it's great to be here. To start with, let's ease our way in. Can you give me an overview of City of Hope and its tech transfer activities? Sure. City of Hope is a 10,000 plus strong hospital and research enterprise dedicated to making an impact in the lives of people with cancer, diabetes, and other serious illnesses. Our mission, just very briefly, is to transform the future of healthcare by turning science into a practical benefit, hope into reality, hence you get City of Hope. We were founded in I want to say 1913, originally as a group of volunteers to go help a TB outbreak. As antibiotics came to society to go help with that, slowly transformed over time to take on bigger challenges like cancer and HIV and diabetes. What has happened as that, we became a National Cancer Institute designated comprehensive cancer center. We're a founding member of the National Comprehensive Cancer Center. And we spearhead an initiative called Cancer Care is Different in the state of California to help establish a Cancer Patient Bill of Rights as well. In addition to the type of policy and patient focus we do, we have a really, really strong route dedicated to research and innovation towards the types of cures we want to make for society. And these have led to significant advances in modern medicine, including the development of the first synthetic human insulin, the human growth hormone. And the drugs that have transformed cancer, like Herceptin, Rituxin, Avastin, you know, they are built on base technology that the City of Hope made with Genentech back in the day. So it is with that, when we run the tech transfer office, that we are trying to take the credo of City of Hope, right? There is no profit in curing the body if in the process we destroy the soul. And we, you laugh, but it's, it's, yeah, this no, is it's a very, very, true. very yeah. real thing yeah. to us. And in our tech transfer role, like we try to take all these things that our amazing researchers do and make sure that the patients actually see them in a way that is in line with our values and advances not just the patients that come to City of Hope in Duarte, which is about eh, 20 miles east of Pasadena, where I live in the greater Los Angeles area, to pretty much everyone around the world. Just to wrap up with that, when I first came as a tech transfer licensing manager, I think we were 3,500 people approximately in our main campus in Duarte, California. But even then, we've grown. We include the City of Hope National Medical Center, the Beckman Research Institute, the Translational Genomics Research Institute based in Arizona, also known as TGen, our Access Hope, and our most recent family member is the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, which will take a lot of the City of Hope treatments that you see 
here in LA and take it around the USB. I usually, as you know, talk to people from universities on this podcast. How does tech transfer work in a hospital? Is there anything that makes it easier or more difficult? So every tech transfer office has their good days and their bad days, their headaches and, you know, (laughs) just the highs, right? It's a great community I get to be part of. But yes, I think there are differences between a hospital and a university system. The first one being that a hospital research system has a very focused pipeline, right? And in my case, I'm especially hospital, right? City of Hope is especially hospital. I'm focused mostly in cancer and diabetes right now. And so the focus of our resources and our efforts get to be a little bit more streamlined as opposed to if I'm at Stanford or UCLA, I would be getting inventions or working with professors who are in engineering or trying to put things into space or could literally try and make an app in someone's basement or garage. It's a bit of a different world. And so I don't get any of the fun that all the physicists and engineers get to go do at the universities. But I do get to focus on the thing that I'm super passionate about, along with my team, which are therapies dedicated to cancer and diabetes, which really affects not just I mean, I think it's fair to say it just affects one person at this point. Like, I don't know anyone who doesn't have at least someone that they love that isn't affected by diseases like this. So just by that alone, especially hospital system has that very, very big distinction, right? Like I said, it comes with positives and negatives with that. For me, it allows me and my team and the other units at City of Hope to take our resources that we want to allocate and really focus on this. And so what we've done at City of Hope is we've made a streamlined infrastructure in our resources to help take inventions that scientists see and make at the bench. And we literally can see them go into a patient two years later. I get to say that I've actually seen that happen. And that is not something as easily done at even other hospital systems that don't have the same focus, the same kind of like specialized care, and definitely at university. That said, we can't make it up in our garage, in our pajamas. And like, well, maybe I can't make an app, but like, we're not going to go do that the same way <laughs> that, <laughs> that a bunch of people who want to do something in the gig economy, yeah, right? Yeah. So that would probably be the biggest difference. I imagine that's really rewarding to actually see therapies that you've helped license improve people's lives. It's tremendous. And it's what's kept me coming back for like over a good part of a decade at this point. I joined City of Hope in 2013, right? And I'm still here driving people crazy. It means a lot. Like I tell people the biggest, most impactful day in my history at City of Hope was finding out that a patient had shown remission in glioblastoma, which is a very terrible, aggressive brain cancer. It's the one that uh, for people in the US maybe would associate with the late Senator John McCain. And when I heard about the data that had come out, from this trial, I went back to my office, closed the door, and I cried because the trial happened because of the licensing and partnering deals that we do. And it was something that that I had very much led. And so it meant a lot to me. I don't show up, nor does anyone in my team show up on a patent, a scientific paper, or, you know, any of these conferences. But knowing that we're part of these things is what keeps us going every single day. We're remote now, not everybody, but uh, some people are remote now throughout the pandemic. And one of the hardest things is actually not being as connected to those patients, because I remember parking next to families 
who were seeing their loved ones in the hospital and seeing their loved ones get ready for things for their different cancer trials. And I'll tell you, when you're in a Starbucks that's inside your hospital and you're waiting in line behind a patient who's connected to an IV, right? Like it just keeps you very much grounded to the mission and it helps you realize why it's so important to get these technologies through the valley of death. Because if you're coming to City of Hope, where since we're a specialty cancer center, we take the cases that nobody else can really take anymore. We give chances to people that other places just they don't have the skill set maybe or the resources or honestly the repertoire of seeing so many strange and different diagnoses, right? So when you're standing in line with them, it keeps you very connected to the mission. And it keeps your eyes on the prize, honestly, for what it is you're doing for every transaction in our group when we do tech transfer activities. You are definitely the first person who's talked about crying on this podcast, but even just listening to you, no, 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 it's perfectly understandable. Even just listening to you, I get goosebumps because it's deeply impactful and and transformative for these patients. Does that mean that most of your team are also not keen on leaving? Like, is there quite sticky office? (laughs) (laughs) Well... I would like to say no one would, but, um, but, you know, I am so blessed. I am so utterly blessed because everyone above me, the side of me, below me, we are so like this special coalition of people who just resonate and connect to this. Like I say that not everybody can work here right? Like if you don't have this special thing inside of you, it's not just connecting to that deeper mission, but to be able to handle it day to day, right? Because that takes a certain type of grit as well. I'll tell you, I'm very picky with recruitment because when I look at people who join my team and when I look at my leaders above me, when they're forming theirs, as we've been expanding throughout, we don't just go, oh, I'm just going to go find this person who on paper has this amazing skill, beautiful pedigree and everything. We're looking for that connection into the mission because it's not easy. It's not something that money will just do, or it's not something that even like, you know, work-life balance or whatever, like you need to feel this. And that's where that drive and that passion intersect. And that's when we do the super awesome creative things, right? So we have uh, an amazing group coming from a bunch of different backgrounds. Like I have someone who used to do IP litigation. I have people who, you know, were in medical devices before. One of my bosses was a pharma VP for like 20 years. His last position before he came here was at AstraZeneca, right? So we have this great diversity of perspectives, but the common binding element is this connection to being part of this mission and being part of the process that drives it. Because like I said, it's not that you see me, it's not like you see my boss or my boss's boss and you know, and all these things, but we all know what we've done. And that's what gets us coming back the next morning and saying, all right, inbox, what have you given me today? Right? And there's good and there's bad. And you just kind of like drive through it because you know what you're doing it for. Is there anything that other places, whether they are other hospitals or universities, could learn from how you do things? Is there anything that... What's your secret sauce? (laughs) (laughs) As a city of hope is quite collaborative, right? So we work a lot with a bunch of different hospitals and universities, and not just locally. 
And so we learn from each other all the time. My favorite people that I know are other tech transfer heads that I want to say, you know, something nice, like pick their brains and get their perspective. But it's really me bugging them. I say, please, please give me your wisdom on this so I can be smart, right? But uh, I think the key thing that makes City of Hope unique in how we do our translational development, I think I mentioned this earlier, the streamlined infrastructure on taking things to patients. And I think this is where we've been working and honing at this for ever since I came, actually. And it's getting better and better. And so what are those elements, right? Well, one, by virtue of being a research hospital, right? We have our researchers and our physicians like right there. They talk to each other all the time. They're constantly coordinating together on projects. You have that initial thing that, you know, not every university gets to have, right? And frankly, not even all the hospitals. Sometimes the research institution is like physically apart from the hospital. And ours are just like right smack up right to each other. So they're always there. I'd say that'd be the first part of it. But I think the other parts, and, and I get to say that I'm part of this, is that the whole concept from bench to bedside, it's a buzzword. And I think the way that the enterprise has dealt with it, especially over the last two decades, it's how do I pragmatically make that happen? So what's the first bit? It's okay, well, you've made an invention. That's great. There is a huge amount of stuff and types of research that you need to do to make that even acceptable to put in front of the FDA. A typical basic science, ivory tower, gorgeous, you know, science or nature paper that goes into mechanism. That's great you got the mechanism. Now, how do I make that into an actual therapy that I can test in a person? All those experiments, all those things that you have to go do, pre-IND enabling studies, all those things, like we have it set up so that there are resources for our investigators to tap into. And when we continue to de-risk it throughout this process, we have even more resources. So one of the best parts um, for me too is that we take care of the GMP contracts is that we have these multiple GMP facilities on campus. We provided like all the Lenti for, you know, BMS's car T's for the longest time. We did the Lenti for Stanford and UPenn for the longest time as well. We make our own cellular therapy product on campus for our patients, for our GMP, right? On top of that, you have people like me, you have people like my colleagues, her name is Kat, like the director of our regulatory affairs. We have an entire office and they're an amazing group of people who just put, the, like, I don't know if you've ever seen an IND filing. It's these boxes and boxes of paper. Like, I know it's more electronic now, but I would see them in the conference room, like just boxes and boxes of paper to just get through for the initial submission of these things and project managers to help throughout all of this. And that's just to get it in front of the FDA, right? And then all the work that happens after the, the FDA accepts it, well, getting the data, getting it analyzed, how do we do this? And then what do we do next? What happens here is that all those little resources, they are optimized for de-risking these early stage assets. And as a result, we have a very, very different type of tech transfer than some other places because I have more de-risked assets to be able to go partner up with other companies. But more importantly, it de-risks technology that goes into patients. And that's how it feeds into our mission. Because I'm just going to tell you, as much as I love being part of uh, our tech transfer and our commercialization strategy, all the things I just mentioned to you, they weren't really made for that reason. They were made because the scientists and the doctors, honestly, they had a, almost a gorgeous impatience about the idea of, well, how can I get this into a patient? 
And this is what happened over the course of several decades, where us breaking ground to make JMP facilities, us expanding more resources so that we can do our FDA submissions, us getting more facilities so we can do all the IND enabling studies. Like this is what that City of Hope has very different than a lot of other organizations. It tries to take the perspective of what would Big Pharma do? How would you get this to a patient? How do they do it? And then allocate all the resources that way throughout the pipeline so that we can go forward with it. You touched on another topic that I was going to ask you with researchers being impatient. How does your engagement fare from researchers? Is there generally a strong commercialization culture at City of Hope? Huh. It's a good question to pair with impatience. So I like how you did that. As I mentioned, we were part of how uh, Genentech developed uh, stuff to make monoclonal antibodies happen, which has been like an absolute game changer in cancer treatment. And so we enjoy royalties from that. We're one of the like top earners of licensing income out of all of the United States for the academic institutions. So that's in the back, right? I think everyone kind of knows that this is the success is part of the foundation of how we move forward. So I would say that there's that, but I would probably go back to the impatience about just getting the patients treated because this goes back to the practical benefit that I referred to at the very, very beginning. We know that we have to partner up with other people at one point to take a therapy to the rest of the world, right? We know we can't just do that from our place in Southern California. So that mindset is there. I wouldn't necessarily say that everybody is running off to go make their own startup company in the garage. But what it is, is that they'll work with us quite a bit to go, they'll talk with us, well, what about this? What do I, what do you think? How would we do this? How should we do that? And we've made a bunch of new codes that have gone IPO. We've made companies that have been acquired by big pharma. Uh, we have this, you know, in our DNA, but I think it's viewed in that lens of this is that final step, or these are the, the necessary steps to get the therapy to the patient. So that's how I would connect it. That makes perfect sense. If you're a doctor, you don't want to go and set up your startup and be busy with that and take 15 years to build a company and then come back and help patients. So I, it, I, some people might, but yeah. There's a, yeah. Since we have such a healthy environment about balancing that motivation, getting the innovations through, and we've had the success that we've had for commercialization, I think you see the PIs in this kind of unique position where it's like, oh, I can still do the thing that I'm super passionate about and that I trained for how many decades to be. And I don't have to stress out because this is going to reach people if it's going to reach people. So it's a serious trust that we take. And we work very hard to make sure that we live up to our end of the bargain with our principal investigators. Yeah, that makes sense. There's something else that I picked up on. You mentioned working with US companies nationwide. Is that still your primary focus? Do you also collaborate internationally? What is the balance? So we do, by virtue, since we're an American company, like work with more American institutions. I mean, it's, it's a proximity thing sometimes, right? We have more people that we collaborate with in Los Angeles than we do with other people. But I would never say that we would limit ourselves just to the US. I'll tell you that um, two of the companies that went IPO with us was some of my favorite technologies ever in the last two or three years. I mean, I mean, like my favorite technologies ever. These are actually companies that are listed on the Australian stock exchanges. They're led by amazing men, CEOs who are just 
killing it and taking these innovations and getting them through the clinic. They're doing trials internationally. And I wouldn't say that that's we're only looking at U.S. companies. I'll tell you that there have been some changes in the U.S. legal system when it comes to certain types of diagnostics that have changed commercialization strategy for multiple, not just academics and nonprofits, but for-profit companies. That doesn't mean we're not working with diagnostics. Like we did a very big deal with exact sciences last year, but as a result of those legal changes, we've been working a lot in places in APAC where there's, it's a growing market. There's a ton of expertise there, particularly in liquid biopsies. And I'll get on a call with VCs out of China and Hong Kong to the point about that family of tech transfer, it goes global. Like I will call like the acting vice president for knowledge transfer at HKUST is someone who I will reach out. And I just had a phone call with him just the other day because he had a question about a certain type of technology for me instead. So it's never limited to just the US. And we try to keep our eyes open on anything where we can see there's a synergy. You picked up on my favorite question there, which is usually Examples of startup <laughs> companies. Um, I know you mentioned Genentech earlier as well. If people have heard of Genentech. I, it's, it's this very niche company. I, I think some people might have come across it. <laughs> but I, Australian Stock Exchange, I find that quite interesting. What, yes. what were those companies? <laughs> I'm going to have to tell them that I'm going to name drop them. They, these two companies, one is called Imogene and the other one is called Chimeric Therapeutics. So Imogene has a couple things in their pipeline. But some of my favorite stuff that they have, especially from us, is an oncolytic virus that helps in combination with cellular therapies to increase potency and effectiveness of different cellular therapies. Gorgeous, elegant experimental design. Chimeric is another cellular therapies company that has a technology that goes after glioblastoma, the indication I told you earlier that means a lot to me, that is based on a type of, and I kid you not, a type of venom that can paint the solid tumor in a way that people didn't previously think about. Our researchers took that idea of how this venom could do it and then incorporated it as the targeting domain for their cellular therapies. The data is gorgeous. I love everything about it. And that is the base technology for Chimeric right now. And they're working both in autologous and allogeneic. And their CEO, Jennifer Chow, is one of my favorite people to talk to. I mean, something like that just blows my mind because in my head, the jump from poison to cancer therapy, like there's so many steps that you have to go through. I often call that particular technology my baby technology because I heard of the idea about venom when I was pregnant. And when I came back from maternity leave, I was like completely on top of like how we we're going to do the commercialization strategy on it. And I always know how long I've been working on it because I just have to think about how old my daughter is. It's gorgeous, elegant, beautiful science and led by an amazing team of PIs right here at City of Hope. And to the point about international institutions, it's an Australian company, right? They work with us. They're working with several other American institutions. I think the CEO is based out of New York as well. They go back and forth. And we did this all in the pandemic. So we don't close the thinking on where it is, who we partner with to go make sure that these therapies reach patients and that all the fine tuning that needs to happen over the course of how many years gets enabled. I know for a fact that Australian companies, they're becoming attractive because the government is giving really, really nice tax credits for R&D. And so you see not just smaller, newer companies, you're seeing 
the funds wanting to put the companies and incorporating it there. And, and even the larger big pharma companies, they're moving some of their unique projects into that space. So we don't go, oh, well, it's Australia. And the only thing with Australia is that oh, the time difference does make, uh, <laughs> does make for very uh, plain spoken phone calls sometimes. <laughs> I'm with you there. I've spoken to people in Australia and New Zealand sometimes, and it's very weird. 9pm here and 7am for them, and it's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't envy you. Is there technology or a treatment for any disease that you hope will come across your desk? Is there a cancer indication or another kind of condition that you want targeted? I've already mentioned glioblastoma means a lot to me, but uh, and this may sound corny, but I would love an invention that would help people overcome their fears and concerns about being vaccinated right now. I can't, like, I, I, if someone's going to ask me that, I have to say that's probably what I really, really want. I want people to get the safety from this pandemic so badly. And, you know, in that respect, just to mention this, we're a cancer center. Not everybody would think, why would City of Hope, a cancer center, a diabetes center, go into infectious diseases? But when the pandemic hit, all of us mobilized, our scientists mobilized, our BD like me mobilized, and we actually have now a phase two COVID vaccine to help with immunocompromised patients. We're talking about the type of people who land up in the hospital or who go to City of Hope and they maybe can't take the other vaccines and making sure that they get something, right? And so we got it into phase two and it's been licensed. It's with Geovax, which is a public traded pharma company. And when we talk about hope and like how we go after the things that the serious illnesses to go impact lives, it's a great example of that kind of culture that we have. We would just shift all of a sudden and say, I know we're cancer, but we're going to go work on this right now and put every single resource we can to make this happen because we need to look at the people who maybe won't be looked at in the same way. So yes, I would love something that would increase the vaccination rates, not just in LA or California or in the US, but just all over the world at this point. And that would be the thing that I would probably, if that came across me, I would put every single hour I could to make that happen. You would have my full support. <laughs> Whatever support I could give you, you <laughs> would have it. <laughs> Talking of things that we wish for, is there anything that is missing from your ecosystem? Time in the day, right? <laughs> yeah. um, our leadership has been incredibly smart. They're so strategic and so forward thinking. So even the things that like aren't even publicly known that I know about, I, they're so good at hearing everybody, not just the heads of departments. They hear everyone. They hear the patients. They hear people like me. They hear the scientists about like, what is it that you need, right? What is it that you need to go do? And so they're really good at this. And that's why I think you see City of Hope attacking the problems like cancer, like not just with research and development, but with initiatives like Cancer Care is Different to go change how patients can get cancer care in the state of California, right? Like, I think that's why you see all these different things. But to go back to my first comment, yes, I would like more time. Like if they could possibly give me more time on everything, like, like I just want more hours in the day. I would love it if more people could join. We have lots of open positions because we want the City of Hope to be stronger. I think for tech transfer purposes, I never know how to approach this. So this may not sound very articulate, but um, as you can probably tell, we really focus on de-risking our tech. 
We have our own multi-million dollar initiatives to select the right types of tech in their stage and say, we're going to go de-risk it. And then with, with the idea that we would have commercialization strategy where we would partner up with someone else. We have all that, but not everybody maybe knows us. When they get to know us, they see the whole chain and they're like, where have you been? And I was like, I'm right here. So I don't want to say it's like a publicity thing, but I think it comes back to like the guy who was part of inventing artificial insulin. He's a very humble person. He's not the kind of guy who just like screams and like not, or like is in front of everybody, like showcasing himself or anything like that. And I really love that about our enterprise, that we're not thumping our chests constantly or that we're doing this massive showmanship thing. I think if more people knew about the things that I'm working on, you probably see more funds or serial entrepreneurs like coming up and talking with us as opposed to maybe like their natural home bases that you see around the world because you know duarte it's uh, like i said it's swimming it's away from pasadena which la is kind of spread out to begin with not everybody thinks that wait there's that massive cancer center right off the 210 that all the billboards are about so i think that's probably the big thing that i would love for commercialization purposes when it does come to startups how easy or difficult is it to find the right people and, and the money for those? This is like the existential question for tech venture people. Um, I'll tell you that when the science is beautiful, like the text I just told you about, it's not actually that hard. And I've always said it to our scientists. You give me a good presentation at ASH, you just remember when everyone's asking you just to send them to me. A good presentation at ASH, a really nice data in nature. These are the things that bring in people. And this, again, is about having a very focused pipeline. Like at a university where you have a bunch of engineering students or programmers, you might want to have resources that make it a little bit easier for them to do like hackathons and to get seed startup money for the company that they're going to do. It's, it's so different because everything for our stuff has to be de-rest. You just can't do a medical device out of your garage. You shouldn't do a medical device out of your garage, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and so for that, and as I think you can see the theme is like, we just go back to the science always, right? Like most of my group were all scientists in a previous life. And so it's just a, you go back to the science. Science is gorgeous. Then we'll find a way to make this happen. The science is gorgeous. We'll get the resources to de-risk this and get this into a patient. And so The further you de-risk, the more likely the companies, the, the VCs, whatever, like they'll come to you anyway. This is the distinction, I think, of being at a place where, no, you're trying to define your market size based on what segment of the population your app is going to go for, right? Like this is a very, very salient distinction between a university and a hospital. So I think for that, I think it is easier, except that getting there is not easy. I would say for that part before the gorgeous data comes in, it's probably super difficult, like super, super difficult. But once we start really getting into the tech that is approaching the disease in a efficient, effective way, then the pieces fall together. It's really about what is the best commercialization path for a type of asset like this. I have a slightly different question still about people. How does your engagement fair when it comes to diversity and inclusion from researchers and your own team? So when I first came in 2013, I think I was the only female manager. And I'm proud to say that we 
my group in particular and the way I do recruitment, we're very, very aware of power of diversity and inclusion and the kinds of things you need to do to make it very successful too, right? And so I, I think by virtue of having more people or women of color in leadership roles, you'll find that more candidates of the quality you need who are from different backgrounds will come apply because they just feel more safe. So I, I get to enjoy that as well. As for the enterprise, the thing is, science in itself, it doesn't care who's doing the experiment. For decades, it's been this global effort, right? And so if you're trying to get the best talent, you don't care in a way, right? But it just naturally forms a lot of diversity because you're getting someone from China, you're getting someone from Italy, you're getting someone from Latam, you're getting all these people all around the world. And so I'm happy about how many different people from so many different backgrounds I get to work with on a regular basis. I'm also very happy, like I mentioned the GBM tech, right? The GBM tech that I'm so close to, it's spearheaded by the most amazing female scientist, pioneer in cellular therapies. And I am so proud to, to have made sure that her technologies have gotten commercialized, right? But to the point, the enterprise has since the time I've been there, like has, has made it a bigger, more central focus. We have this great, really just amazing woman named Angela Townsend, who's the, our chief diversity officer. She is very dogged in her pursuits to making sure that DEI is infused into the DNA at City of Hope, to the extent that it isn't already. But we always can improve. And it's great to tease them sometimes. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, There's something wonderful about that too, because that means everyone's aware and so I get to go say that my bosses are older white men, but I can tell you with an absolute straight face that they are allies by every mean of the word. So to me, it's a very special culture that we try to do at City of Hope as an enterprise. And then in our own team, there's no other way we do it. I mean, I get that. I, I am a white man. There's no hiding the fact I can't change that. But yeah, being an ally is or, or giving a voice to not white men is well it's just the allyship is something that i'll tell you i don't think every single organization focuses on that and it's something that at least i can tell you that the leaders above me are just exceptionally good at so um i'm very proud to work under these i mean i also give my bosses hell on a daily basis so i mean i, I really should give them this but uh, it does mean something to be part of something progressive. And that is huge. What prompted you to join City of Hope then? How did you get into this job? It's funny, I guess for me, is that I was going to be a researcher. And I really was, I was going to be a PI professor, that kind of thing. Lots of things in life changed a bit of that. And I was actually working in an IP boutique firm. I got some advice from someone who had seen me do well in this meeting, you know, saying either you should either go into the business strategy side, business development side, or you need to like go to law school and become a partner and do this is the way that you can deliver impact because I know it's important to you. I kid you not, two weeks later after having that call, someone told me, hey, do you know that there's like a research business development position open at City of Hope? I'm like, no, really, I did not know that. That is so strange that you just brought that up. And so my boss, Dr. George McGall, personally recruited me. And he said to me that if I had an idea that could make it better for the patients, he would help me about it and he would throw everything he could for it. And honest to God, he absolutely followed through even, you know, half years later. 
He still does. And so this means there's tech transfer, right? Let's just talk about like the license agreements, the collaboration agreements, the SRAs, you know, that kind of stuff. But it also means things like in the pandemic, I first got to do the first hackathon for Hope, which we did with Facebook, where Facebook worked with our blood donor group to go help make campaigns to increase blood donations. Blood products are huge to how you do treatment for cancer patients. And so this was intersection of commercialization, but with the nonprofit focus or that patient focus, which I'm not sure every single tech transfer office can do. And they continue to let me do, uh, I say let me, right? But they continue to let me do <laughs> different interesting projects for patient needs. And I still get to do and see the most interesting inventions. So it keeps me going every day. Amazing. Is there anything you would say to someone starting out in tech transfer today or looking to join you at City of Hope, a new recruit? Oh, wow. I really should have an answer to that like uh, immediately. But I think. For City of Hope, we tend to have a pretty high retention rate. I think if you work for me, that maybe that's the way I should preface it, right? The thing that I would ask the people is like, I want you to keep a long and holistic view of things. And I want you to have that view in everything you do. So it's very easy, I think, for some people in tech transfer to be like, oh, it's an invention. We have to file the patent. We have to go to like... It's an MTA, it's this, this, like, and this is something I very much push against. And I say, like, this MTA is transferring material from one lab to another so we can work on this therapy. And this patent application will be the first component to how we can maybe structure a deal to do commercialization, which would lead into a phase one or a phase two trial. So this is that kind of longer game, that kind of holistic view. It's so easy to just go through the day to day. But in my group, because we have the ability to de-risk, to do the translational development, that's the thing I probably have to ask people. Like, I need you to keep a longer view on things. I need you to go look at it. And you make it work for you so you can learn what you need to learn so that you can make that long view happen. It's like the difference between like a day trader versus a, someone who knows how to do like values investment, like Warren Buffett style. It's that kind of a difference of thinking. And so... The common line that everybody hears out of me when they first work uh, for me is like, I am happy to go give you dessert, but you have to eat your vegetables first. I focus a lot on like fundamentals and getting, understanding all these little things, but like, eat your vegetables, <laughs> please eat your vegetables, but, uh, but we will get to dessert. I quite like that. We are almost out of time. Is there anything else that you want people to know about City of Hope or something you want to reiterate? Again, if anyone has questions about City of Hope, I'm always happy to, to talk to anyone if they want to go do collaborations of any kind. If I can't do it, I'll find someone who will. It's still that kind of organization where you can just send out an email to a couple heads and be like, I don't know who can help me, but could you, could someone help me, help me, right? Like help someone else. It's a great family thing in that way. But I guess the thing in my head I'm thinking about right now for anybody like to sign off on is there is a blood shortage right now, not just in this country, but everywhere. So for anyone who might listen, please donate blood if you can. You will be saving lives and you will be helping research move forward and you will be making just it slightly better through what has been a very long pandemic. I think those are very good closing words and a good call to action. Sangeeta, it's been a huge pleasure to talk to you and learn more about City of Hope. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Helis. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button 
and peruse our archive of more than 50 interviews. This podcast is a production by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find our website at globalventuring.com forward slash university, on Twitter at GU Venturing, and on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In Ear Production. You can find out more about them at inearproduction.com. If you have any comments or are interested in being a guest on a future episode, feel free to email me at thales at globalventuring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-S at globalventuring.com. We'd also really love it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't yet, do recommend this podcast to your friends and colleagues, or maybe even share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, goodbye. Do 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 do